I am Inga Larissa. And I am Jennifer Rose. We're two whiskey pals serving a weekly whiskey podcast and rocking your whiskey world. Exploring the whiskies and distilleries of the world and meeting amazing people along the way. We'll be sticking our noses into our jams and all things whiskey. So fill your whiskey glass and join the fun. You're listening to Whiskey Sisters, the podcast. Hope you all had a great week. Today we are taking you to England, we're playing the song, that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we are sampling some English whiskey from Cotswolds and Oxford Artisan Distillery. But before we go any further, whoa, let's hold the bus because we need to stick our noses into the latest whiskey news. Stick your nose in it. Communities in Kentucky are furious that a barrel tax, which has historically helped to fund schools, roads and facilities, is being phased out. Local officials in Kentucky are railing against the axing of a significant barrel aging tax that whiskey makers have paid for decades. Figures who have invested millions into improving their local towns to support the expanding bourbon industry now fear the cash will not make it back into the communities that rely on the annual cash injection. Um, a state legislature voted in April to phase out the parallel tax law. That's really interesting anyway. Like I never heard of this before that they have such thing. That they have a law. and But I'm imagining if they're used to that, then I'm not seeing all their totally dependent on it but if that's been your budget and it's been part of the makeup of the area it must be a bit shocking to be imagining living without it yeah so the billet county received 3.6 million us during 2021 from the barrel tax on aging whiskey with Mm. the majority yeah quite a lot with Mm. the majority of funds being plowed back into schools and the local fire department And whiskey makers say that without the removal of the tax, they may be forced to stop building warehouses in other states, which could result in bourbon production moving away from its heartland. And Kentucky is currently the only U.S. state to pay tax by the barrel on its aging spirits, costing bourbon distilleries around 40 million U.S. dollars per year, a sum that is expected to double every six to seven years. So it's a lot of money for them. For sure. And distillers argue that scrapping the tax will give the bourbon sector, 95% of which is based in Kentucky, equal treatment with other manufacturing industries that are not taxed during the production process. However, a growing conflict is emerging between the bourbon companies and those in the local communities who have packed and supported that growth over the last few decades. The whole thing is really baffling to me. Like they're paying tax for their whiskey that they're aging in the warehouses. Yeah, I I can see the point of the community thinking, oh my goodness, because they've had such massive revenue. But it must be tricky for the bourbon makers who are having to compete against other states' produce that don't have the same costs. Exactly. And then it's kind of a conflict also, like if the communities now are saying like, you know, if you stop this tax, then we don't, we start complaining about the industry near our houses and so on. But then surely they also, they create jobs in the area and lots of visitors and so on so yeah it's a tricky one yeah and I guess complaints about that surely it would cut their nose off maybe to spite their face if it has taken away local industry yeah definitely 
The Scotch Whiskey Association, the SWA, has released guidance to help producers improve their water efficiency. The newly published Water Stewardship Framework offers research-based guidance for the Scotch whisky industry to reduce its water usage across the production process. Ruth Piggin, Director of Industry Sustainability at the SWA, said, Water is a precious resource, which is vital as both an ingredient for making Scotch whisky and a tool for its production. The Water Stewardship Framework is an action-oriented commitment to the industry's continued work to improve water management and a serious acknowledgement of the importance of water to nature and the wider environment surrounding industry sites. The impact of the climate crisis is already being felt in Scotland's water supply chain and while distilleries manage this well, we understand that we have a duty of care to ensure that our water is as efficient and responsible as possible. So in 2021, the SWA set a water usage target as part of its strategy for sustainability. By 2025, dependent on distillery size and production, the goal is to ensure the amount of water used per litre of alcohol produced is between 12.5 to 25 litres per annum. And this newly published framework focuses on three areas, responsible use, engagement, collaboration and advocacy, which kind of sounds like four areas. <laughs> but I think engagement and collaboration are kind of like lumped together there, people. And it encourages a collaborative industry approach to deliver on the ground improvement projects and to influence future policy to ensure the protection and preservation of water. Previous data analysed by the SWA showed water efficiency has improved by a not too shabby two little ducks, 22% since 12 no, not since 1220, since 2012. But yeah, this is something we mentioned on our news section not too long ago. I think it was old Pultney who had reduced the production weeks yeah. during the summer because of these issues. So I can see why now they they just kind of making a proper proposal for all the distilleries just to kind of just think about it a little bit. Yeah, take it to a line and get on board. Yeah. We have a little favour to ask you. If you enjoy what we do, if you like our whiskey chat, we would love if you would vote for us in the British Podcast Awards because we are in the category of people's choice. How can people do that, Inca? You literally go to our Instagram or British Podcast Awards Instagram and click the link in bio or check our stories or our highlights. And you literally just write our name on the thing click it and it's pretty much done super easy yeah you'll become rich you'll get thinner you'll look younger you'll have good karma forevermore add at least five years to your life or perhaps just have a good warm glow inside that you've done yeah. something lovely for Inca and Jane and we appreciate you so much so we don't come last I don't think they tell you who comes last but you know what we mean <laughs> and if you're struggling to find how to vote just reach out and we'll send you the link Dom crap. So before we start talking about English whiskey, I feel like we should just have a quick chat about the English band Wham. Let's take a <laughs> take a pause and a moment for Wham. Because I recently watched the documentary on Netflix. And Me too. Did you like it? Oh well, you know how obsessed I am in general with the eighties. 
Can I just say for the first half when it was very 80s focused, the hair in that TV show was oh. just flying everywhere. The, you know, 75% of the screen was taken up by the hair. I know. That's exactly what we were saying when we watched it. Like, there's just so much hair everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. I actually didn't know much about Wham, although I do remember them from my childhood. And I actually found it kind of totally touched my heart. And my, I think my heart popped open for both George Michael and Andrew Ridgely. I didn't know much about them. What about you? Do you yeah. Were you a big fan before? Do you like them? No, like, of course, you know a lot of the songs and stuff. But I was really surprised that the band was actually, they were only together for about four years before everything ended. And that's like, a short period of time. That was shocking. Like all that happened and they got so huge in that time. Yeah, but obviously they were young and I think that kind of music, it was fun and it really worked for that time. Like all these sporty outfits and I thought it was funny when Andrea was saying like, you know, he chose the outfits and then um George went for yellow and it's like, yeah, he's he's colorblind, so he probably didn't realize he was wearing like all yellow outfit. Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> funny. I don't know. I it, it was also very sad how George Michael was like at from like very beginning, he was saying, like, okay, I'm gay, you know, what should I do? And then they were saying how he should just not come out because, you know, what his dad's gonna think and stuff like that. And it's just like all that time. I know. And just very sort of demonstrative of just a different age how it was then and compared to perhaps now exactly but then also it it made me wonder whether if he had come out at the time would he become that kind of amazing musician that he was because obviously he put all his energy and everything into the music you know what I mean? Like, because he was frustrated and lonely and all that. And if he would have come out, maybe because of the time, I don't know whether he would have made it anyway, because everyone was very judgmental and, you know, yeah. it was different era. But also, I don't know, just, you know what I mean? Be- because angst and pain often makes incredible depth for songwriting, doesn't it? And I guess yeah. his Listen Without Prejudice album, although I've always been a rocker, I've flirted with many a genre. I really liked that album when it first came yeah. out. But it's actually like super deep and kind of heavy, some of the yeah. songs and the lyrics. Exactly. And also, you know, when they finished, wham, Andrew didn't really do much. He, I yeah. think he tried to go solo or something, but I don't... And also, actually, now that we're still on the topic, it did seem like there wouldn't be George Michael without Andrew because he was the shy guy and Andrew was like, come on, let's do this. You can do yeah. it. You know, like... He was his best cheerleader and, you know, I think they were a really good team at the young age and just supporting each other. Did you have a dram whilst you were watching Wham? No, I didn't. What did you, what did you pair with it? No, but I'm just thinking what dram would I pair with <gasps> Wham? Thinking for me, it would maybe need to be Malt Mates because it's like so fun and bright, the label. Yeah, and I was thinking maybe like something from Scott's Malt Whiskey Society from the category Young and Lively. Oh, that's nice. Nice call. Worldwide Whiskies with the Whiskey Sisters. Hicks and Healy claimed to be the pioneers of the English whiskey revival, beginning distillation in Cornwall in 2003. 
but it was the opening of the St. George's Distillery in Norfolk in 2006 that really started the rebirth of English whiskey. Currently, there are 45 active distilleries in England. When I was doing the research, I was quite surprised that it's much more than I was expecting. They're springing up like mushrooms. Even an English whiskey guild was founded in 2022, which currently has 23 members. Also makes me wonder why they're not all members. Although I don't know if all the Scotch distillers are part of the SWA either, actually. Good question. We need to mm. look into this further. Yeah. So the English Whiskey Guild is forecasting 50,000 maturing casks by 2024 and with the value of £1 billion. Hoo-ka-ching. Yeah. Growing market. And they are working to clearly define the technical standards for what constitutes English whiskey and monitor adherence to those standards. They strive to operate both the business and whiskey production in as sustainable and environmental manner as possible with a focus on reducing carbon footprints. They also help to build awareness of the category in general. My ears there, it sounded like you were saying focus on producing carbon footprints. I thought, oh, controversial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So what is English whiskey like? Many appear to be following the Scottish template quite closely. St George's with its Forsyth pots, the lakes led by the likes of Paul Curry, son of Aaron founder Harold Curry, and ex-Diageo production director Dr Alan Rutherford OBE, and Cotswold where founder Dan Zor was inspired by the resurrection of Brooklady. And although St George makes peaty triple distilled and a range of grains that uses rye, oats, wheat and malted barley and chocolate and crystal malts, the lakes, while overtly Scottish in its approach, has released two hybrid whiskies. The one and Steel Bonnets, which kind of sounds like a Saxon album title. <laughs> yeah, I just Wheels of Steel, yeah. <laughs> Cotshold wants its spirit to echo its gentle, beautiful landscape and the cereals and fruits that grow there. In Kent, Copper Rivet has drawn up its Invict Charter as a starting point for a discussion about common standards for English whiskey, but not as a restraint on flavour creation, as its two contrasting new make spirit style show. In Southwold on the Suffolk coast, Adams uses brewer's yeast and a Christian Carl beer stripping column to produce its high ABV wash. The Oxford Artisan Distillery, aka Toad, has manually operated stills, employs an archaeobotanist to source ancient grains and isn't scared to release a pure rye spirit at an obscenely young age because it tastes good. I think that already explains a little bit maybe why some distillers aren't haven't or haven't joined this guild yet because at the moment there's so much room for experimentation. There's yeah. no rules, really, what is English whiskey? So you can do loads of stuff. And then once that becomes popular, then, you know, they can't just put rules and say, no, actually, no, you can't do that. They're like, yeah, we're wild and free and you can't pin this wild horse down. Yeah, rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually found the Copper Rivets Invicta Charter. There were quite a few pointers, but I can read a few examples just to give an idea what they are saying that the English whiskey should be. And obviously, this is based on what their whiskey is like. The spirit must be distilled in England. The entire process from milling crisp, creating words, fermenting distillers' beer, distillation and filling casks must happen at the same time. 
same side, same time. <laughs> I was saying, that's a steep ask. Yeah. That's a red bolt. Must happen at the same site. The spirit must be made with cranes grown in England from within 50 miles of the distillery and water. That's not far. Yeah, that's a bit, you know, might be difficult. Yeah. Um, eight statements on the spirit's label will reflect the mean average of the ages of the whiskies used in the blend, which I think in Scotch is the youngest whiskey. Mm, yeah. Any kind of still may be used, but where a still other than pot still is used, it must be clear on the label which occupies the primary focus of a consumer's attention, normally considered to be the dominant front label. For example, if a column still is used, the labeling should be clear that it is a column malt whiskey or column grain whiskey. No part of the spirit may have been distilled to more than 94.8% alcohol by volume. When put in the cask, the spirit may not be put in the cask for maturation at more than 67% ABV. And the spirit must be matured for at least three years in natural wood cask. Casks may be modified to assist maturation, but the nature of modification will be clearly labeled for the consumer. For example, honeycombing, a barrel end, or multi-variety wood staves. Super interesting, isn't it? It does yeah. seem quite strict criteria, or is that just me? Well, I don't know, like, some of it is kind of strict, but then at the same time, it's like, yeah, just put whatever wood you want in there, like mix and match with the wood and things like that, so... I don't know. It still leaves quite a lot of room for experimentation, which we like. So today we are featuring Cotswold Distillery. Some of you may have listened to Inca and I chat to Rob from Cotswold Distillery before on his podcast. If you've not checked it out, give it a listen. So Cotswold Distillery is in the heart of the Cotswolds native park. It's one of English whiskey's more established distilleries and has won plenty of awards for its products. And it all started back in 2014 when the founder Dan, a native New Yorker and whiskey connoisseur, had moved to the Cotswolds after working in finance in London for many years, seeking to leave behind that world and spend more time in the picturesque countryside with his family. It eventually dawned on him that he could combine his love of whiskey with his desire to start a new business. A dedicated whiskey fan, Dan saw the field of golden barley around his house in the Cotswold and had a brainwave to start the first distillery in the area. Having found a derelict site near his house, he set about building a distillery and a team to run it. And the doors of the Cotswold Distillery opened in July 2014. They had the guidance of renowned industry legends Harry Coburn, former distillery manager at Beaumont and Dr. Jim Swan, fondly known as the Einstein of whiskey for his formidable knowledge of the signs of distillation and maturation. So quite the lineage. Have you ever been to Cotswolds? I've never been there. I've never been, but it's one of those places you see on TV and it just looks so damn pretty. Yeah, and it, it looks very Englishy. Like, you know, that's what you think, like English countryside, you know, green. Rolling hills, romantic, yeah. yeah. Cotswolds uses 100% locally grown barley. Their fermentation takes over 90 hours and their cut points are unusual. The fruity esters created during fermentation appear early on in the distillation and therefore in order to capture them in the spirit, they switch from four shots to hearts after only a few minutes. 
the cutoff veins also happens sooner than it usually would, meaning none of the heavier, rougher compounds will make it into the spirit. The spirit is 75% ABV after distillation and cut down to 63.5 before being casked. And later on, we will be sampling the sherry cask matured whiskey. The second distillery we are featuring today is the Oxford Artisan Distillery, which is also fondly known as Toad. As the name indicates, it's located just on the outskirts of the city of Oxford. They produce mostly rye whiskies to a very high standard using a unique method of regenerative agriculture to grow their heritage grains used in the distillation. They are the only distillery using diverse populations of ancient heritage grains, rye, wheat and barley that are adapted to the local growing conditions. It might not be the economical way to produce spirits, but the flavour profile these grains produce and the environmental benefits paid back in spades. The distillery's commitment to soil quality, land regeneration, community and the environment goes beyond their passion for spirits. So that all sounds very nice, very wholesome. Indeed. The Oxford Artisan Distillery exclusively contracts five specially selected local organic and regenerative farms on over 300 acres of English countryside, mostly within a 50-mile radius of the distillery in Oxford. And these farms grow ancient heritage grain for the distillery, the likes of which have not been grown extensively in England for well over a century. Back in the day, they had a toad like a frog as uh, the logo of the distillery on the gin bottles but I don't know if they still do that that's cute toad is the only distillery in the world to use these populations of ancient heritage grains painstakingly sourced revived and bulked up over many years and grown sustainably in methods last used in the 1800s although it makes me wonder if you know waterford distillery they are using some heritage grains as well but whether whether They are slightly different in England and in Ireland, I'm not sure. It's real dedication and devotion to the flavours, isn't it? Exactly, not just from the distillery, but for the farmers as well. Yeah. So as a result, their spirits have a flavour that cannot be achieved from commercial cranes. It's like a signature maltiness with caramel undertones that has won some rave reviews for the distillery. All historically fascinating and grown from varieties that were common before 1904, when the advent of modern farming changed how crops were sown and grown. And the distillery's heritage grain is grown sustainably, ensuring pesticides, chemical fertilisers and even manuring. There's low to no crop rotation and the crop is undersown with clover. All of this contributes to an abundance of wildflowers, insects and birds across the farm, again making me think wholesome. Compared to modern day crops, this type of green is stronger and more adaptable to environmental changes, making them survive without the need for chemicals and they create their own ecosystems. And this same unique dedication also shows in their stills. They collaborated with Paul Prydam and the South Devon Railway Engineering, some of the last great historical industrial coppersmiths in England, famous for their refurbishment of the Flying Scotsman. Taking And the Flying Scotsman's a train. Taking cues from the best of distilling practice, the romance of steam, Victorian engineering, old diving helmets and imagery from Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the two copper stills were born Nautilus, a 2,400 litre still, 
and his 500-litre partner in crime, Nemo, weighing in at 940 kilos and 380 kilos, respectively, together with two 5-metre-tall, 40-plate copper distillation columns. Boom! Yeah, and have you seen a picture of the columns? They are actually square. Ooh, no way, I haven't actually seen them yet. Yeah, what is that style? You know, the... Oh, it's like right on my tip of my tongue. It's called steampunk. Ah. Yeah. So the stills are very steampunky style. Cool. I've heard of that steampunk, but kind of didn't really know what it meant. Yeah, it's kind of, I think maybe like Hendrix Gin and their, some of their stuff is a bit steampunk. Awesome. So have you tried any English whiskeys before or, are, you know, are there any whiskeys that you are keen to try in the future? Well, I was excited to try the Cotswolds because we were speaking to Rob on the podcast and I was really excited about, you know, receiving whiskey from them. But in all honesty, prior to this episode, I had tried not a drop. I know. I feel like we need a tour. We we Actually, we have been talking about going to London and going to some of the distilleries there and around yeah. Yeah. at some point. But yeah, we definitely need some sort of deep dive yeah for sure whiskey Um, sisters on tour england style yes england (laughs) (laughs) so for me it would be bimber distillery because when they were starting at the beginning and they were only producing vodka and gin i did a fair bit of work with them including naming their stills how amazing is this? So I haven't tried any of their whiskies and they are making really, uh, well, so they say, high quality, robust whiskies in, in West London. All their releases literally sell out so fast. And they're also currently working on a new Scotch whiskey distillery in Speyside. Wow. Dunfell. Dunfell. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. I named it Stills. So Doris is the goddess of the waters. Uh, and she looked after the mouths and of rivers where the fresh waters were running freely. Uh, her name kind of connected two words, Doran, gift, and Soros, pure. So Doris was the oceanic nymph and wife of the sea god Nereus. And that obviously, so cool. Yeah, well, I did loads of like, oh, it was quite hard because obviously everyone always wants like two female names and so on. Yeah. Not from Greek mythology. Yes, yes. It is actually. Bimber is run by um, a Polish family. So obviously they have big connections to vodka and that's why they started by making vodka and they also used like their family recipe and all that kind of stuff. So the name vodka comes from obviously from Slavic word voda, meaning water. And Doris here, like here, makes sure that the water will never run out and they will create the purest vodka. So that was kind of the thought process behind the name. Oh, that's so nice. Doris's sister still, again, I wanted to focus on the unique purity, the name the uh, still Astrea. And it's a goddess of purity, so endlessly striving for perfection. And she had great attention to detail. And Astrea is also connected with the month of December. And that was when they first ever spirit was run and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know why, like I was looking at the website just to check if they still have the name Doris and Astrea. And they've changed one of the stills to call Astreos, but I don't know if that's a mistake because it's so close. Astrea is the daughter of Astreos and Astreos is actually a man. So it's like the father. So maybe a wee typo there we're thinking? Maybe. Unless we're having gender fluid stills these days. 
<laughs> yes, it's a possibility. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I would like to try some of the whiskies actually at some point just to kind of see how they've changed. I think that's a must. We should definitely feature that because what a cool request for you to you know, have been given that honour to name them and amazing names too. Nice one. Dram on fire. First up, a sherry cast matured in English single malt from the Cotswold distillery that was aged in a combination of American and Spanish oak hogsheads and butts which have previously hailed either Oloroso or PX sherry. And it is bottled at 57.4% ABV. Okay, colour. Whoa, it's quite dark. I was thinking rusty red. Yeah. Yeah, quite dark, rusty. Yeah, definitely quite dark. I was kind of like, oh, it's golden syrup. And I was like, no, it's more coppery. It's definitely um, airing darker. Also, how it sticks to the glass. Uh, this is kind of what Diana from Tobamori Distillery would say, pearl necklace. Yeah, it's like a it's like a hefty old pearl necklace there. Yeah, it really has slow, runny little pearls coming down. The nose, how did you find the nose? Delicious. Butter kiss toffee popcorn fresh green apple, then almost sweet, soft, fleshy fruits like papaya, black grapes, then almost a little echo of wood shavings. Oh my God, this is funny. Like literally when you were saying all those words and I've got my nose in the glass, I'm getting all of those like in right in that order as well. Wow. And mine has been in the glass for a while, but when I first started nosing it, I was getting more dark cherries, cherry Mm -hmm. liqueur filled dark chocolate um some dried blueberries there was also some apple and cinnamon like apple cinnamon pie Mm. or some sort of thing like that yeah yeah but now when you're saying you know those really dark uh grapes for sure yeah very nice depth too i'm really enjoying it on the nose yeah it's really kind of it does change really nicely yeah you could keep nosing this for ages and it's just discover more and more totally i concur so how about the palate? I thought it had such a velvety mouthfeel. I was getting kind of a bread and butter pudding, you know, with like the succulent raisins, but there's a creaminess, a cinnamon spice, that baked pudding. But then I was almost like, what is that freshness? And it made me think of carrot and fresh ginger, like fresh juice. <laughs> nice. And then I was thinking, oh, but it's kind of sweet and delicious. And I was thinking of soft toffees that have kind of melted in your pocket or on a sunny day in the car. <laughs> Oh yeah. Actually, I'm loving the carrot juice. I'm I'm getting the carrot juice now. That's carrot fun. juice with the fresh ginger because you know it's like kind of the warmth but it's like got the carrot freshness. Yeah, oh my god. Exactly. And it's like carrot juice that's a little bit warm. I've never yes. tried a whiskey that tastes like carrot. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, what are your notes for the palate? Okay, so for me, it started off very warming and quite because it's quite high ABV, obviously, and it is hot here as well. So it was quite warming. It was nutty with plenty of dried fruits. I was thinking slightly unusual dried fruits, so like dried blueberry and like goji, goji berries. Oh, nice! You're yeah, so good. slightly different to your usual raisins and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you meant you said freshness before you said carrot, but I was getting toothpaste and like lemon balm. Wow, okay. Like there is that kind of slightly freshness on the top of your yeah. um, mouth, kind of something minty. 
that's why I was thinking lemon balm instead of mint as well because it's there's like slight like a citrusy edge to it. Yeah. And then I was getting toasted hazelnuts, you know, like in like in Italy and like some places and they roast all those nuts like as mm. a whole. On um, the kind of outdoor barbecues yeah, type thing that you and see it, like, st- like stalls as you're walking yeah, around. Yeah, and it creates yeah. this kind of smell that I was thinking like, oh, must transfer it into palate a little bit. Then I was getting a slight kind of hay or something grassiness. Yeah, yeah. But also berry jam. They In Italy, they have croissants filled with berry jam, like forest berries. And that was kind of like the jam with the cro- fresh croissant. I can easily get uh, get aligned with that. On the finish, I sat for ages kind of luxuriating on the finish. I'm actually just looking at those evenly spaced pearls in my glass now with um, admiration. But I, do you know in the finish, I was like, what is it? And then I thought, I feel as if I've had cheese and oat cakes with chili jam and I'm in the afterglow of eating them. Mm. And they're sort of like, just a wee aftermath of cheese oat cakes and chili jam. Yeah, I like that. That's nice. Although I don't think it's as creamy as cheese, but yeah, I get what you mean. And like that oat cakey, the yeah. sweetness of the jam. Yeah, not the taste as such, but how the kind of it might leave your mouth in a kind of happy place. Mm. Yeah. And I did try this as well with the cheese puffs for research I- purposes. I forgot to buy the cheese puffs. I let us down. So, so what can... happened when you tried? Oh, it didn't work for me. It was okay. too, um, I mean, I don't know, maybe too fruity, too kind of buried and slightly too spicy. Like, I don't think you had enough body for the cheese puff. And I think the difference with the Metallica release, the blackened release, is that it's very, you know, just a lot of those creamy notes you know caramel and super super creamy and more silky on the palate I guess what savory snack would you pair with the Cotswolds instead of the cheese puff is it a nut situation is it a little cracker and butter is it some focaccia and oil like where are you going with this oh that's a good one I'd like to have something like easy that you know like literally like a style of cheese puff but I, I can't think of anything right now, but I think what would work now that you put the whole oat cake cheese situation in my head, a little oat cake with goat cheese. Oh, nice. Mm, I think that would work. And potentially a little grain or two of black pepper. Yes, I can definitely go with that. Nice. Next up is the seventh batch of rye whiskey from Oxford Artisan Distillery. Easy Rider, such a cool name, was matured in a batch of nine casks, including American oak casks of a variety of sizes and chars, and a Moscatel Roxo cask from Sputal, Portugal. 50% ABV it is bottled at. Yeah, so Easy Rider name. And then also, like, when I was nosing this whiskey, it just made me think of Mad Max. <gasps> like, oh you know, imagine so that cool. kind of dusty yeah. place. And the cars are so cool. And Tina Turner's outfit was amazing. I think that'd be an amazing costume to dress up in. Oh, so anyway, it was giving me that vibe. So, color, rusty red again, similar to the previous, surprisingly. Although maybe tiny bit lighter, but very, very similar. Yes, I agree. What did you get in the nose for this one? 
oh, this was funny one. As soon as I started nosing, I was like, what is that? I just could not yeah. put my finger on it. I was thinking crispy rye breads that we have in Finland. Yep. Um, you know, those really dry ones. But I love them. Lots of people don't. It was just very savory nose. But then I was getting maybe something really... You know, someone's cooked a banana bread that is mm-hmm. overcooked, that is really dry. Oh, yeah. And when like a cake kind of cooks and this sugar almost caramelizes on the outside and you get those sweet fla- those sweet scents. Yeah, but then also like imagine that kind of cake that is just too dry, you know, like it's not juicy, dense cake. It's just like someone's just overcooked it a little bit. So it's gone a bit ah, dry, okay. but you still get the banana notes, but it's just kind of like... I'm not as excited about a dry sponge. and. I can't read my notes. <laughs> I have no idea what it says. Mystery oh, note. Granny's house. <laughs> it's not like obvious. I'm like, does it say Granny's? I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> Granny's house. Like you okay. come to like old person's house. There's a funny smell. It's like old furniture, dusky, like like a bit musky leather couch. It's like her old bag in the hall. Yeah, you know this old, you know that kind of so a real mixture on the nose for you, Inca. Yeah, what are you getting? Why? Well, I, I guess I also got a, a mixture. I got initially sweet notes like vanilla custard, then maybe nectarine fruit or marmalade, orange marmalade. But then I was getting savory notes, and I, I was getting the posh potato chips, the salt and vinegar posh ones, balsamic vinegar and sea salt. Oh. That you know, like make your mouth pucker because they've got so much flavoring on them. I could smell those. Mm, that's a good one. I really like those. They're so good. I don't even mind that it kind of takes a layer of the inside of your mouth off because they're so <laughs> like so strong. True. Yeah, <laughs> they are tasty. I found it very different on the palate to the nose. So I'm keen to hear what you got in the palate. Okay, so I was thinking like I could taste fields of all these different grains. Like I'm eating the air I don't know around them wow. like I could feel like I was tasting so many different grains uh, loads of cumin white mm-hmm. pepper allspice mm-hmm. yeah and turmeric oh good call I'm find I'm had a, having a wee sip just now found it really different than to when I originally tasted it I found it kind of more tart and sour and I was thinking is that like a fruity salad dressing is it savory is it sour citrus notes of grapefruit and lemon maybe some fennel maybe some dark chocolate orange but that kind of aired into the finish but as I'm tasting it now I'm getting more earthy notes like gentle soil vibes yeah it's very tastes local (laughs) like organic taste kind of like as if you've had a vegetable and all the dirt's not washed off it it wasn't this the spice that was strong it was quite kind of tart and astringent for me at first but that's super mellowed now it's been in the glass for a little longer so it's kind of changed quite a lot yeah very different two very different whiskies definitely how did you find it on the finish shortish yeah shortish for sure um yeah, very similar. Maybe slightly sweeter. There's like sweet maltiness on the finish. I think the two drams are quite contrasting. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. Like, I'm still quite new to rye whiskies. Me too. Um, so, and I do like the kind of spiciness of the rye in a way. I mm-hmm. appreciate all that. But I think my palate is not so used to it. So it's going to, I find it harder to detect those notes and like on the nose as well, the aromas. I'm like, oh, it just makes me think of something, but I couldn't really pinpoint what it was. Harder to discern that. Yeah. Mm. 
I enjoyed both, but I think Cotswolds more. I agree. I think they both have so much to offer. My personal palate is more suited to Cotswold. Again, I can echo what you say. I'm not that offy with rye whiskies, but thank you to both of these distilleries for gifting us some juicy samples. Yeah. And actually now I really want to go and make a whisky sour with the Oxford Artisan Easy Rider. I want salt and vinegar crisps. That's a good pairing. Whisky wow. sour and crisps. Salt and vinegar yeah, crisps. Let's do it. Do Ooh. it. Whiskey Sisters, Whiskey Fact. Okay, today's Whiskey Fact is a little ridicule of you, Jennifer, from the other day when you were like, oh, do you know on Maker's Mark they have this <laughs> thing that looks like Vax on the top. I thought I'd just bring it into the Whiskey Fact and just tell you the story. Just educate me, Inca. Yes. Do. <laughs> the red wax resting on the top of every bottle of Maker's Mark is a time-honored tradition that dates back to 1958 and the very first bottle the distillery ever sold. The idea came from Margie Samuels, who founded the distillery with her husband. The marketing brains of the operation, she came up with the bottle design for Maker's Mark, as well as the idea to dip each bottle in wax. At the time, bourbon was seen more as moonshine than a connoisseur's beverage as it is today. The detail that went into Maker's Mark's bottle design were part of what made it stand out from against its competition back then. And even now, I guess, because you said that that's like, <laughs> that really draws you into it. So that's really good. It's still working. Yeah, it looks so delicious. You just want to get in about it. Yeah, and the first bottle was dipped using wax heated up in a deep fryer on the Samuels stove. The formula for Maker's Mark's wax used today was developed by Tom Hammond in his garage. It took six months and a lot of trial and error for him to create the iconic wax. One important feature of it is that it will only melt at 350 degrees, so there's no risk of it melting after it initially dries out on the bottle. And while even the most casual whiskey drinkers know that Maker's Mark has red wax on top. Hey, excuse me. <laughs> most people don't realize that each bottle was hand dipped and dippers stand near the end of the bottling line and hand dip each and every single bottle. So and, cool. Yeah. And in his prime, Bill Samuels Jr., the son of Maker's founders, said that he could even tell who dipped each bottle by looking at it on the shelf. No way, that's super cool. I know, it's been paying attention. Since each bottle is dipped by hand, it actually makes the bottling line a bit slower than some of the competition. While some distilleries can pump out two to 400 bottles per minute, Maker's Mark group of hand dippers currently do no more than 125 bottles each minute. Even that's, what, 125 bottles a minute hand dipping? That is amazing. They are super skilled. I wonder how many we could do if we got a shot. Two. <laughs> In fact, Inka, thank you for fleshing out that whiskey fact. I think that is fascinating, super impressive. And actually, Robert, one of our listeners from the US, actually messaged today and said he'd been to Maker's Mark Distillery and that each bottle is hand-dipped. So super cool. Oh, that's a nice timing. Yeah, definitely. Spit it out. Kilharman has purchased a derelict Bentley man mansion. 
Bentley Mansion in nine. Fuck's sake. There we go. <laughs> Took all of two minutes. <laughs> Campbelltown at one time in the past. Oh, what? Oh, sorry. <laughs> kind of barley something. Oat. Oat. Uh, oaty. Yeah. Oat. No. Oaty. Yeah. Oaty. Oat biscuity yeah. kind of thing, which is today known as Lincoln Country. Count. Lincoln County Press. Uh, a universally accepted critical Inca. step. Yeah. Pr- process. Oh, what did I say? Press. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to get Chen to like our Biki. The, our listeners who've been following us. Oh, yes. It's not our Biki, honey. I, I know. <laughs> Honestly, because I was doing our Biki and our I know, today. I, I know. kept doing the same mistake like so many times. <laughs> yeah, totally. As good as your classic RPG, uh, Arbeg, <laughs> your classic, in <laughs> 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 the previous episode, how RPG, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm like mixing R, <laughs> monster of a word, um, RPG profile meant that the first age statement, re- statement, because <laughs> it's statement, statement, <laughs> statement, Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah. Rejuvenation by having its staves shaved down and then recharged. Rather than <laughs> what did I say something? No, it's just I keep thinking of vaginal rejuvenation <laughs> and having its stave shaved down. <laughs> just oh. being immature. <laughs> SCR stands for scraped or shaved, toasted and recharged, and in. <laughs> Now I'm just thinking shaved and oh no, it's <laughs> yeah. not good. Yeah, waxed, <laughs> shaved, waxed, plucked, landing strip, vajazzo. <laughs> you know, at one time it was really popular to do like shapes on your. <laughs> Does the colors match the cuff? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Whiskey Sisters podcast. Brace yourself, lovelies. Bad news for those of you that like your Whiskey Sisters fix. You need to whip up some excitement for yourself by listening to old episodes because we are heading for our summer holidays. We'll be putting our whiskey loving feet up and taking a two week break from recording. So the next episode will be live on Wednesday, August 16th. Don't you worry, it's an episode worth the wait as we will have a special guest to chat all things whiskey and music. And the whiskey on the spotlight will be no other than Glen Scotia. Whoa! Extreme close-up. So exciting. And it's a while since we've had a guest on Whiskey Sisters, isn't it? We've been saving this up for season three. I know. I'm super excited about this guest. Very excited indeed. And we have two Glen Scotia drams in the hot seat and dram on fire. I promised to do my joke. I left it till the end. You know, Oh, the best it, till last. Yes. As Jen mentioned on the previous week's episode that I, when I first moved to UK, I did move to Essex and I lived in Essex for 11 months. Are there any whiskey distillers in Essex? Actually, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, I lived there for 11 months, but it wasn't for me. I was Googling where to live in the UK and I ended up in Brighton instead. But I did learn a joke. 
What do you call chav in a box? I don't know. What do you call a chav in a box? In it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I just get so many laughs out of it. In it. (laughs) Everyone hates these jokes. They're like, Inga, it's not really that funny. I'm like, but it is. Oh, so sorry. Maybe not everyone around the world gets this, but if you're from England or Scotland or somewhere in the UK, you probably will hopefully laugh. If you know, you know. Yeah, if you know, you know. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. Brilliant. Sometimes we can hear your Essex come out and some little pronunciations. Oh, shut up. You know the score, beautiful people. Follow us on Instagram at whiskeysisters.podcast, Twitter at whiskeysisters, and Facebook at whiskeysisterspodcast. Toodaloo, Inca. Have a nice summer vacation, darling. (laughs) (laughs) 